So at this time, brethren, we're blessed for our, to have our second message for the day, brought by Elder Barnabas Grayson, uh, entitled, Power from on High. afternoon. On the way over here, I went by the uh, church on the move, you know, to the west of here, and uh, they were on the move. I had to wait for them all to uh, get past before I came, came over here, but they, that's a beautiful church and uh, landscaping there. Lots of people, and it occurred to me, you know, they look at this as, of course, Pentecost Sunday. So here we are on the day of Pentecost. Now, when you think about power, you think about strength. You may think about uh, stamina or endurance, things of that sort, or energy. Sometimes we, it seems like we don't have enough of physical strength or even mental strength or even spiritual strength at times. And sometimes we wonder how much or how little strength we might have. In our world today, people in countries, they measure themselves by how much power they have or how much strength that they have. But at the same time, in spite of all the power, military power, the economic power, the um, other strengths that a nation might have, still people become weary. They become tired. So in order to get uh, physical strength, you know, you have to muscle up. You go to the gym, you go and work out, and you do things that will build strength so that you can have the muscle power to do things. Uh, actually, you know, uh, in the old days, that strength pretty much naturally came because people used to work with their hands, they used to lift things, and now they have uh, mechanical things that pretty much do the job for them. But people can take pride in their strength or their position, and sometimes that can lead to inordinate pride in which they are humble, and the, the pride of their power is broken. In the handout that I gave you, uh, I've corrected some of this. The opening scripture is not Acts 24:49; It should be Luke 24:49. so you might want to make that correction there. In Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus said this. <laughs> wow. Right on cue. <laughs> I, tell you what, I thought I was hearing things. I'm going to start all over. That's good. What we do sometimes, we, you know, in our prayers, you know, Abba Father, cry out to Daddy, cry for Daddy, cry for Mama. Um, like I said, let's see, okay. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said this to us. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait you or tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with the power from on high. This word power 
This means force. It is from the Greek dunamis, from on high, or exalted high, or exalted height. Indeed also means to be clothed in the sense of seeking into a garment, to invest with clothing, which is liter literal or figurative, of being put into an investment, filled into an investment. So as we read this, you know that we are filled with power, clothed with power. So have you been clothed with that power from on high? And if you were looking at an automobile or something, you would, you know, you always lift the hood of the car and you'll gather a lot of people to come around to see what's under there. V8 or maybe a, a four-cylinder. There's power under there. But the fact that you are here is because of the fact that you believe in the Word of God. You believe in coming to worship Him and learning of His Word, from His Word, and seeing His way. You have this hope in your heart that focuses you on the future, even despite circumstances that might be uh, might not favor what you might be feeling today. You might not be in the mood, but sometimes our hope is diminished by the things that happen around us. But there is that hope, that hope that is in the future, unless, of course, we somehow quench it. So today, let us reinforce the gift of hope and the strength that is in us through the reading of the power of God's word. After his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus had shown himself alive and to his disciples 40 days, speaking of things that uh, pertain to the kingdom of God. Uh, you remember how the women had gone to the tomb and his, he, he wasn't there. They found it empty. But instead, there was the angel that was there who told them he is risen. And they were told to go quickly and tell the brethren Tell the others, saying that he is risen and that they were to go to Galilee where they would see him. In Matthew 28, and verse 8, so they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring the, his disciples word about his being risen. And as they went to tell his disciples, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. So in the meantime, however, in, in, there in Matthew 28, there were some of the watch that had gone to the elders there in the city to report all this occurrence to them, this to the elders, uh, uh, these miracles that had happened, uh, this event that uh, was take, had taken place. But it was then that the elders said for them to keep quiet about it. And so they gave the soldiers a large sum you know, of hush money, having convinced them that it was the disciples that, that took his, his uh, body away from the tomb. And in verse 14, they told the, the watch, 
that if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you, back you up. So they took the money and they did as they were taught, as they were told, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the 11 disciples, they went away into Galilee and into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Galilee is, is in north of, uh, northern area of Palestine, referred to Isaiah as Galilee of the Gentiles. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The Greek word here means that they hesitated. They weren't ready to give their full uh, belief. They weren't quite sure at first. And Jesus came and he spoke unto them saying, all power, it means, this word means uh, authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So we see in the hands of Jesus is total authority or power. Even while uh, in human form, Jesus had power to instantly heal and do other miracles. And even the power to forgive sins, raise the dead, and do so many miracles. You know, what more power could there be? But here he was given power, authority in heaven and in earth. And he said to his disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This word name is from the Greek word that sounds like onoma. And it can be used in a literal or a figurative sense. But here it refers to the authority or the character rather than really a proper name because the Holy Spirit, we know, does not have a literal name. In the name of is like saying stop in the name of the law or by the authority of the law. So on that basis, the disciples were given command by the authority of Jesus Christ, commissioning them to teach all nations and baptize them in honor and by the authority of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Ghost. You know, this word ghost is actually spirit. Continuing, Jesus said, he didn't say, you know, teach them whatever you want. He said, teaching them, in verse 20, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, listen, behold, I am with you always. That is, you know, every day, the whole time, now and always, even unto the end or the consummation of the world or this age that we live in. So Jesus promised to be with us, given us authority, and has given us power through the Holy Spirit, just as even as he promised his disciples. Now, what did Jesus say about living in this age? He said that in this life, you shall have tribulation. There's going to be troubles, there's going to be trials, there's going to be afflictions of various sorts, things that can discourage and just sap your power or energy because of all the things that are going on in the world. But Jesus told him, told them, at his, told his disciples at the Last Supper about his departing, and he said to them in verse 18 above, he said, I, uh, I will not leave you homeless. 
That is, uh, I will not leave you comfortless. Or orphanos, the Greek word, it means as bereaved orphans. So Christ promised none of his disciples would be left to go alone and face the world. Again, in chapter 24 of Luke, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus appeared to his, to his disciples saying in verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Though they had heard that Jesus was, a, was risen and discussed it among themselves, but when he appeared to them behind these locked doors, it took them as a very awesome, a frightening event because there he was in the midst of them of whom they were talking about. And then he said unto them in verse 38, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise and, uh, in your hearts? There at first was agitation. There was discussion among them as to who and how the spirit was that suddenly appeared in their midst. And he tells them, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. So he sought to alleviate you know, their fears. And he said to them in verse 39, look at my hands. Look at my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me, handle me, and see. For a spirit has not flesh and blood as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Held them all out there for them to see. And while yet, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you any meat? So he wanted to show them further uh, that he was who he said he was, that they need not be afraid. And he asked to give uh, what they had to eat. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. And, you know, the disciples must have watched in amazement, still wondering, still in awe, looking at Christ who had this, you know, the nail-scarred hands, the nail-scarred feet. And there he was uh, eating and alive before them. So he had bodily appearance. He could be touched. He showed them those scars and he ate before them and so their fear gradually diminished and they began to believe more wholeheartedly. Verse 44, he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he reminded them, you know, of the teachings that he had made and he reestablishes the fact that he is who he said he was, that he was the son of God whom the Jews did not believe but crucified him for saying that he was the son of God. Verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And that is one of the things of the Holy Spirit is that it opens our understanding. We don't completely know everything but the uh, but our minds are open to the word of God 
to understand them. And some days, perhaps when we don't understand everything, you know, a light comes on and say, oh yeah, I've read that so many times. Now I know what, what it says. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, he told them. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they were witnesses of these things. They were privileged and they were special to see these things, to see and look upon Jesus after his being risen. Something that we can only read about, you know, in the pages uh, of the Holy Bible. But he, in verse 50, uh, he led them out as far as to Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And he said good words to them, words that would encourage them, that would lead them on their way. And he boasted their faith. And then came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So that was a happy day for the disciples to behold the Lord Jesus Christ had, it was risen, and that he promised uh, uh, from the Father, giving of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 1, I won't read all of this, but there is a treatise made by uh, Paul to Theophilus, and he reiterates this story, uh, those events. And he said in verse 2, uh, in verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he had, that after, that he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments unto the disciples and unto the apostles, that is, whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from here. So when they therefore were come together, they had to ask of him because they wanted to know, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in, in his own power. So they knew that there was a kingdom that existed for Israel at that time. But they also knew that that kingdom did not exist at the present time. But they also saw from this that Jesus was to establish or reestablish the kingdom. And so they asked him, well, when are you going to restore this kingdom? But he said, it's not for them to know the time or the seasons. In verse 8, but you shall receive power when or after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you 
and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so when he had spoken these things, as we read earlier, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So his next appearance is going to be visible. It'll be his second coming. And in Zechariah, might insert this into your uh, handout there. In 14.4, he promised uh, about the coming day of the Lord that his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed, shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So there's, you know, a great uh, physical uh, change to the geography of that area. But it w was as he set up on the Mount of Olives there that he foretold also of the signs of his coming. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And this is how the power of God manifested itself. Suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Kind of like a powerful, you know, a thunderstorm that we, we've seen. Much more powerful, I would, I would imagine. But you hear the wind coming and then you see the thun hear the thunder and then you see the lightning. But it's a powerful event. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that at that time it was an event that was to show before all of those that were present there the power of God and what he wanted his disciples, uh, what he had commissioned them to do and to preach that gospel. So as we read this, verse 12, and they were all amazed because, you know, they heard them speak in their own language. They were in doubt and they were perplexed. They were greatly baffled. They were puzzled, saying one to another, well, what does this mean? What meaneth all this? Now, we know that this doesn't mean that they were just speaking gibberish or uh, in tongues. It was actual languages that they uh, were listening to. And they asked, well, what does this mean? Acts 2, verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Joel was looking ahead to this time of Pentecost when that would be a fulfillment of that particular scripture. Then, verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord's coming. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be rescued. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Skip on down to verse 32 there. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. And as we know, he is at the right hand of God, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. And so let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom we have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And verse 38, And Peter said unto them, after uh, they had asked, when they were touching their heart, they, uh, the men, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the gift that is in you is a power. It is a gift uh, that sent by God. And that is, sometimes we think, well, uh, when we feel weak at times, we don't have the strength at times, we need to realize that that power is in us. Pentecost is a New Testament word, and it means count 50, or 50th in, in, in the Greek. In the Old Testament, it is referred to as the Feast of Weeks, and the customary name is Shavuah, Shavuah however, however that's pronounced in Hebrew. In Leviticus chapter 23, we see how this time was first mentioned, and it's, uh, it's a lot of details on this, and, and uh, very technical, and I'm not going to try to explain everything. I just want to read a few, uh, several scriptures there. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in verse 9, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. You see, God spoke through uh, men, through people. And, he, and say unto them, When you become into the land, when you become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priests. Then on down to uh, verse 15, and we read this uh, directive here, and there are different views on this, depending on you know what church or what uh, doctrine uh, you believe in. 
But verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. That's, you know, 49 days as uh, we've been reminded of yesterday. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. After, you know, the 49 days and then present an offering of new grain unto uh, to the Lord. Then there were some... Uh, sacrifices that they were to make uh, along the way and in verse 21 on that same day you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work and, you know that's why uh, we are here but you know Sunday is usually a day off for most of us anyway but uh, we're to do no regular work so this had to be a lasting ordinance for uh, generations that were to come Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. And then in verse 23, the Lord said to Moses concerning the next holy days that are to come, and he gave directions for those of, of, of services. So, you know, the fact of the matter is about Pentecost is that as a feast of weeks, it points to a coming time, the giving of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Exodus 23. Uh, Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year, the feast of unleavened bread, uh, in the time appointed, in the month of Abib, when you came out of Egypt, and verse 16, and the feast of harvest, which you know what, what this is, the first fruits of your labor, which you have sown in the field. Three times in a year, verse 17, all your meals shall appear before the Lord God. As we saw in Exodus there, chapter 34, Pentecost was called the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of thy labors. Exodus 34, 22 is also called the first uh, fruits of wheat harvest. Where it says, let's see, verse 22, and you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest. And it includes a feast of the gathering at the year's end. From these verses, we see that the feast of weeks, or Shavuot, was originally an agricultural, agricultural feast to show gratitude for the first fruits of your early harvest. Some of the uh, material here, uh, Mr. Nolan gave yesterday, so I will skip over that. Let's go to First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 20. As Christians, the feast of first fruit, as modern-day Christians, as which we are, we see. Pentecost as a celebration of thanksgiving that began with the newly uh, ripened barley and a symbol that foreshadowed the resurrection of Christ as the first fruit. In the book of 1 Corinthians 15:20, there, it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead to become the first fruits of them that slept. You know, those that have fallen asleep who have died in Christ and have become the first fruits and the resurrection that is to come. And those in which the Spirit dwells today 
growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, will be among the first fruits. The wave sheaf was symbolic of the resurrected Christ, which was waved before the Lord as the first fruits. For since man, verse 21, came, uh, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruit, afterward they that are they that are Christ at his beginning, at his coming, that is. The, so the Israelites did not perhaps really know what they were doing when they they uh, waved the grain, the wave sheet. Today, by the word of God and through Christ's teachings, now we understand and see the light of what the day of Pentecost was uh, meant, meant for. Now, with power comes responsibility. When you have, uh, when you drive your car, you have an assumed power of responsibility. You have a powerful engine that can, you know, that can speed or it can uh, run into things. It can transport people, carry things, like if you have a, a pickup or, or something. And you also have signs along the way that's, that directs you in the use of that power. So whether you are maybe a boss or a parent or uh, you're given responsibility do a good job. You're given power to do a good job, but it must be under control and used accordingly. Because, you know, the scripture it says that to whom much is given, much is expected. So, in our own life, we might ask, well, just how powerful am I? How powerful? Uh, what things do I have that uh, are meaningfully powerful? What is our strength? Or do we sometimes feel that we are spiritual weaklings? We need to know that there is a power that resides in us. That of the Holy Spirit that makes us children of God and in whom his eye is upon as the apple of his eye and that we have fellowship with Christ Jesus. Now we know sometimes that the, the Holy Spirit needs stirring up like Paul said for Timothy to do. In 2 Timothy verse 1, it says... He tells Timothy, I'm going to put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. That's, you know, that's the, that's the tradition in the church that to transfer the Holy Spirit from on high into the minds and hearts of men. There is the laying on of hands. And note this, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we, there's a power, a spiritual power that is there that we can call upon when we might want to turn our thoughts to hatred. We turn it, there's a power to turn it to love. But this world, we know, this cosmos that we live in is deceived by Satan, the devil, and everything that we might try to do in the right way is uh, interfered with. We are uh, sent on a, a different route, a different road. And things that cause us doubt, things that cause us confusion. And instead of the power of love, 
a lot of a lot is uh, more along the power of hate and terror and perils that are brought upon others. So we have to have a mind that is under control, and uh, we have to uh, try to make ourselves go straight and narrow, and which is not you know, easy to do, given all of the things that are in the world that interfere with that uh, progress or that direction. We know that this Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, but it won't, won't take our arms and twist us and make us do that. To escape the evil, the wrong ways that, is, that are in this world, it, it must be by our choice. And the Holy Spirit is there if we stir it up. So it requires an active thing on our part uh, to do those things. Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 10. My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we have to put these on. It's not put on for us, you know, like uh, our parents used to dress us uh, in the proper clothing uh, for the, uh, to meet the weather outside. But here we put this on ourselves, and it's a spiritual thing that we, uh, that we do. Verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So, a lot of things are a, an attack against faith. And by building that faith and looking to and relying upon the Holy Spirit that, it, that is in us, our faith can be strengthened rather than uh, diminished or watered down. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and app, uh, supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Zechariah in chapter 4 he said this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying not by might not by power but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts it's not through the power of human strength that accomplishes things but it is through the power the spirit of power of the Lord that supplies our needs there is no power but of God says Romans 13 1 in Psalm Chapter 62, verse 1. Truly my soul waits upon God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. So, do we feel sometimes weak in this? Down in verse 8 it says, What do we do? Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour your heart. Pour out your heart before him. 
God is a refuge for us. Think on these things. One of the things about strength is, you know, having the stamina, having the endurance, and also having the goal in mind as, you know, to why, why you're being uh, test, uh, that goes beyond your testing. Having a goal that will get you through that, through overcoming by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Lord because, because we know Jesus is there. And scripture there, I don't know if I have this down. Yeah, verse 11, I think it is. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, the psalmist says, that power belongs unto God. So Christ, we read also, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what Paul did, what they were doing, we, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So like all the holy days that we keep, we know that they have uh, future implications. It is a time to come, Pentecost is, and a time that we wait for, we count towards, and uh, when the entire world will be in a harvest, the Holy Spirit given to them. Now, we may be weak now in this human body of ours, but we know it's just temporary, because there will come a time when there will be a great change in our in, in our body and we have to look to Jesus to his power that is going to raise us up in glory and in power remember Jesus said all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth so we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given upon repentance it's a gift of power and that is what this day of Pentecost should remind us of that it does remind us of the day when the Spirit of God was poured out and His law written into our hearts and into our minds and that it is made available to all who will, to all who uh, uh, repent because it, it is a gift of God that is given upon repentance. There is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. Revelation Chapter 2. So I remember in the first message that I has not seen or ear heard what God has in store for his people. Verse 25 of Revelation 2. But that which you have already hold, that that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end to him will I give power over the nation, give authority over the nations. So when you think of power, you think of strength. You know, we may go to the gym to work out and build our muscles, and it has to be a continuing thing, or else, you know, we just, we just lose what we've gained. But our fight is spiritual. And we go to the word of God to build spiritual strength. 
And it is Christ who strengthens us. Because that's what Philippians 4.13 tells us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Jesus set us an example. He learned the things through, uh, things through which he suffered. And he overcame by the strength of the Holy Spirit. And all through doing this, he had in mind our salvation and our own personal interests. So it is through the power from on high that we have strength and Jesus is our strength and he is our salvation and that's what we can glean from today's Pentecost.